Grand Central. You can pick it up after the service today. If you missed a Wednesday night session, listen carefully. If you've missed a Wednesday night session, you can pick up the student handout, go home and watch it on our, our podcast, fill all the stuff out, bring it back, and we'll look over it. Um, I'd like to be able to say just fill it out and you're all good to go, but I want to see it. Uh, people tell me they do stuff and what they do is different from what I think they did. So anyway, so if you'll keep that in mind, uh, we would appreciate it so very much. So remember these things and uh, God bless you this morning. I want to call your attention to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they, they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I want to preach to you for a little while, just simply reach, reach, reach. It's our theme this year. Just simply reach. My subtitle today is Stepping Out of Your Boat. Everybody say thank God for the Word. God bless you. Thank you for standing in your patience. You may be seated. Somebody said one time, we're all in the same boat. I say, not really. Everyone is different. Our needs are different. But I'm going to ask everybody, regardless of the boat you're in, I'm going to ask everybody here today to reach beyond yourself going to ask you today to reach beyond your circumstance or situation. Put your faith out there. Do it one more time. You may have done it many times in the past. I'm going to ask you to do it one more time here today. I want to take a moment here today to introduce you to Lawn Chair Larry. Larry Walters of Los Angeles. Larry's boyhood was, his boyhood dream was to fly. But fate conspired to keep him from his dream, so he joined the Air Force. But his poor eyesight disqualified him from the job of being a pilot. So after he was discharged from the military, he sat in his backyard watching jets fly overhead, and he decided to step out of his boat. He hatched this scheme while sitting outside in his extremely comfortable Sears and Roebuck lawn chair. He purchased 45 weather balloons from an Army-Navy surplus store, tied them to his tethered lawn chair, and filled the 45 four-foot diameter balloons with helium. Then he strapped himself into his lawn chair with some sandwiches and some alcoholic beverages. 
I don't think those two things go, should go in the same sentence. And he brought with him a pellet gun. He figured that once he launched, he would shoot with his pellet gun and pop a few of the many balloons when it was time to descend back to earth. Larry's plan was to sever the anchor and lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet above his backyard where he would enjoy a few hours of flight before coming back down, but things didn't work that way for lawn chair Larry. When his friends cut the card anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he did not float lazily up to 30 feet. Instead, he streaked into the L.A. sky as if he had been shot from a cannon. Pulled by the lift of 45 helium balloons holding about 33 cubic feet of helium each, he didn't level off at 100 feet. He didn't level off at a 1,000 feet. After climbing and climbing, he finally leveled off at 16,000 feet. I would have been dead by then. At that height, he felt he couldn't resist, or he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons lest he unbalance the load and the lawn chair and all that and really find himself in trouble So he stayed there, drifting in space. This is a true story. He ate his sandwiches and drank some of his alcoholic beverages for more than 14 hours. He crossed the primary approach corridor of LAX Airport in Los Angeles, where at that time a Transworld Airlines and a Delta Airlines pilot radioed in reports of this strange sight. Eventually, lawn chair Larry gathered the nerve to shoot a few of the balloons and slowly descended, hanging tethers tangled and caught in a power line, blacking out a Long Beach neighborhood for more than 20 minutes. Larry climbed to safety where he was finally arrested by the waiting members of the Los Angeles Police Department. Eventually, he was led away in handcuffs and a reporter that was dispatched to cover the daring rescue asked him, why he had done it. Larry replied nonchalantly, a man just can't sit around. Larry's efforts won him a $1,500 FAA fine, a prize from the Bonehead Club out of Dallas, Texas, the altitude record for gas-filled clustered balloons, and an honorable mention from honorable mention from the Darwin Awards, a website dedicated to honoring those who improve intelligent humanity by removing themselves from it by doing really stupid things. And I think sometimes life is sometimes a whole lot like Lone Cherry Larry. It can be exhilarating and frightening at the same time. We can get in a whole lot of trouble when we live life with no challenges. Most of our problems are created by the foolhardiness of the guy who attempts to pilot his own lawn chair. Praise the Lord. So after hearing a few stories like Larry's, the temptation is to become the direct opposite when it comes to church anyway, and that's to become a pew potato and never venture outside our comfort zone. And God help us today. I don't know about any other movement, but the Pentecostal movement is full of this. We've tried this and that before, and we shot up into the sky 
And it got real scary, and we came down feeling real foolish. And I'm not doing anything radical for the kingdom anymore. Anybody remember last Sunday? I talked to you about radical faith. That's getting back to our book of Acts. Origin is what that actually means. But the Bible is full of stories of ordinary people who took extraordinary risk. Some of them failed miserably. Some of them succeeded miraculously. And most remarkable of all is here's a story of one man who failed successfully. What I'm about to present is so applicable to so many folks that are here today. Peter certainly didn't mind being on boats. He had been a fisherman all of his life. He had been in storms as well. But this storm surpassed anything he had ever been through in his life. The Bible said their ship was tossed on the waves. The Greek word actually means tortured or tormented. Their ship was tortured. It was tormented by the waves. In other words, this wasn't a luxury cruise they were on. They were getting the devil beat out of them, for lack of a better word. The storm was a lengthy one. It went from evening until the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 in the morning. Now it's about 3 in the morning, and the disciples aren't worried anymore about getting to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is what Jesus said to do. They were in survival mode. They were just wanting to stay alive. I don't care what shore I end up on as long as I get there alive. And that's pretty much where they were at this point. Suddenly, one of them notices someone walking toward them on the water. They were convinced, as much as you and I probably would be as well, that it was a ghost, and they cried out in sheer terror. How could they have failed to know that it was Jesus? I'm going to cut them some slack here. They're being tossed around like a tennis ball on the sea. They're scared to death trying to stay alive. And all of a sudden this figure shows up out somewhere beyond the parameter of your boat. I think I would be a little concerned myself. But we, just like they, seem to struggle with the idea that Jesus does come to us in our very most worst storm of our life, and few of us fail to recognize Him. That's the problem. We're being beat up by life. Marriage has gone crazy. Parenting has gone crazy. The job has gone crazy. Here comes Jesus, and we freak out. And we don't recognize him. What in the world was Jesus up to taking a stroll across the lake at three in the morning in the middle of a storm? It is a little uncharacteristic if you want to take a stroll on the water to do it at that time of the day and that time of the storm. I'm giving the disciples some latitude here. But Jesus was coming to them in such an unorthodox way that it could only be him. Does anybody get that point? We're so savvy with life. 
We're so savvy with the goings-on of life. We've got everything figured out. So Jesus has to literally figure out real mysterious ways, if you will, to approach us when things are haywire in our life. And then when He does, we don't recognize Him. I think we need to understand sometimes that we're better off to take Jesus at face value. We're better off to take the Word of God at face value, put our faith in it, and ride it out, buddy. If Jesus said you're going to the other side, you're going to get there. Mark's Gospel gives us a clue as to what was going on here. The Bible said, and I find this, this verse very interesting. He saw them tolling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. It was about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. This doesn't necessarily mean what we think. Jesus intended to pass by them, but why? What was his motive? And this is where we need to listen up. There's a word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to times when God made striking and temporary appearances to an individual for the purpose of communicating a message to them. Theologians call this a theophany. But I want you to notice Moses, for example. In the book of Exodus, the Bible said it came to pass, God said, while my glory passed by, that I will put thee in the cleft of a rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Elijah had a similar experience. He said, Go forth and stand then upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. There's a pattern in these stories, and in each case, God is doing, is, is doing something really extraordinary to get somebody's attention. So when Jesus intended to pass by the disciples on the water, He was not hiding from them, Neither was he trying to walk past them. He was trying to reveal himself to them. I hope we understand that, and I hope you never read that passage again. He wasn't going to pass them by and let them sink to the bottom and drown. He was revealing himself to them. He was exposing his deity to them. He was literally coming to them in water-walking flesh which only God can do, Job said, which alone spreads out the heaven and treads upon the waves of the sea. So what can we learn as Christian people here today? First of all, Jesus comes to us when least expected. And if you're not looking for Him, you just might miss Him. Notice that Peter is a lot different from Lawn Chair Larry. He doesn't just plunge into the water head first. But he says, Lord, if it be thou, if it's really God standing in front of me, bid me come unto you on the water. We're not, I'm not talking about foolish impulses today, but I am talking about radical faith. However, radical faith does sometimes seem foolish to the natural mind. It would be tough enough to try to walk on the water when the sea is calm. But this storm was frightening the trained professionals, and they were struggling at this point to even keep their boat afloat. Jesus is inviting Peter to go on the adventure of his life, but to do it, but to do it, 
But to do it, he has to step out of his boat. And that's the problem. Everybody here wants a miracle. Everybody here wants God to calm the storm. Everybody wants God to make your trouble goes away. But nobody wants to step out of their boat in order for it to happen. So now we are at an impasse. Sooner or later, if you really want God to step up in your life, you're going to have to step out for Him. You're going to have to abandon the boat that's keeping you at bay and from keeping God from doing the things in your life that you want Him to do. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yes! I understand the boat is somewhat safe. It's somewhat secure. It's somewhat comfortable. The water's rough. The water's dark and the water's cold. If Peter gets out of the boat, there's a good chance he will sink. But listen to this. If he doesn't get out of the boat, there's a 100% chance he'll never walk on water. Amen. There's more to life than sitting in our religious, God-experience-based boat and living the status quo and not even that much for most. Most living beneath their privilege as a Christian person. I still contend that we put up with far more in our life than we should as Christian people. We've just learned how to cope. We're, we're more comfortable in the boat without Jesus in it then we are walking on the water with Jesus. So, here's the question of today. What is your boat? I, won't, I, I don't need you to answer. I'll go ahead and answer it for you. I'm going to tell you what your boat is. To every born-again Christian person here today, your boat is your security blanket. Your boat is your substitute for faith in Jesus. That's what your boat is. Your boat is your doctor, your attorney, your insurance company, your FEMA representative, your spouse, your family, your habit, such as nicotine and prescription drugs and whatever else. Your boat is your job, your hobbies, your money, your talent, your career, and the list goes on and on. By the way, these things can become idols if we're not careful. There's people here today that have give more allegiance to your job than you do God. In our minds, we need our employment more than we need Jesus. Hello? I want to remind you again that God will never bless you to the point where you don't need Him. He'll never bless you that much. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put your trust in when life gets stormy. Your boat is what keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up even when it keeps you from joining up with Jesus even when the sea is stormy or your life is stormy. Let me say it again. We must understand that we are safer with Jesus on the stormy sea with Him than in our boat without Him. So how do you identify your boat? I'm going to tell you how to identify your boat. Your doubt and fear will tell you. 
I'm, I'm asking you this morning to put your, your faith where your mouth is. We say we believe in Jesus. We say we believe in the Word of God. But why don't we act on it? Because we've built a comfort zone around us. We've built our own man-made ark that will float pretty much on whatever life brings to us. There's folks here today, and I'm going to be real honest. I'm not here to judge or beat anybody up. It's not my point. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that I'm preaching this morning. There's people during our great flood of last year. I don't know that you ever came to the church to pray during that time because you had your FEMA agent. And you had your insurance company. You see what I'm saying? We're, we're stressed out over it, and some of you are still working on your houses, and, and my heart bleeds for you this morning. I have a lot of empathy for that. But how much have you included God in that process, really and truly? I wonder if he had people around you that would have put money in your pocket if you had asked him. Well, I think we might not try this one another day, right? <laughs> I want us to reach inward, upward, and outward and to start off 2017 this way. God only knows what's ahead of us, folks. And it may not always be an insurance company and a lawyer and a doctor available. We may not always have the resources for that. And sometimes the most awesome place you can be in your life is when God is your only alternative. Amen. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. And I'd rather have, you know, a few thousand dollars in the bank if I need it. And I'd rather have a nice car and a nice house. And I'm not beating any of that up. But I'm here to serve notice on Grace Church today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And God could be all we have this time tomorrow. So I'm asking you to reach out to Him today. To put your faith in Him one more time. And say, God, I need you now more than ever. I utter those words all the time. I don't care how good life gets and how good, how nice life gets. I still need Jesus and I need Him every hour of every day, of every week. I don't want to go on a vacation without God with me today. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yeah! Hallelujah. So if you want to identify your boat, your doubt and fear will tell you. Your past will tell you what your boat is. What is it that you're afraid of leaving behind to step out on faith? Your boat could be your career, relationship, or even a secret sin. In what area of your life are you shrinking back from trusting in God? Your fear will tell you what the boat is. And leaving it may be the hardest thing you ever do. One of the major reasons we are afraid to leave the boat this time is because of what happened last time. You sank. And here's where it becomes a pride issue. We're embarrassed when we're walking on water and flaunting our faith in Jesus and all of a sudden we're plummeting towards the bottom like a rock. And we're embarrassed that we stepped out in the aisle. We're embarrassed that we came down to the front. We're embarrassed that we testified that I believe God is going to take care of this. And the situation doesn't get better. And so we risk not making a fool out of ourselves again. Not based on what God thinks, but based on what the people around us think. 
Amen. So let me say it again. One of the major reasons we're afraid to leave the boat this time is because of what happened last time. People don't trust preachers no more. They don't trust churches anymore. They're at an arm's length. We're not going to get too attached. We're not going to believe so much. And when you have great evangelists come that, that, that challenges our faith and God performs miracles for everybody else, we're contented to sit on the boat and do without a miracle and do without any extraordinary experiences in God. We've been hurt once. I'm not getting hurt again. I want to tell you folks here today, God is forbearing, and He is awesome in that. The Bible teaches us that. But after a while, you reach a point where it's just time to trust in God again. Even though in our minds we tried it before and we got burned doing it. We identify with Peter. We have tried before. Suddenly seeing the boisterous wind and plumbing like a stone towards the bottom of the sea, we get scared and embarrassed or reluctant to go through it all again. But here's the secret we've got to learn. Life is stormy anyway. Life is always stormy. And there is no guarantee that staying in the boat is the safer place. In my tenure in this business, I've seen more than one person's boat sink to the bottom of their proverbial stormy sea. I've seen people's dreams come crashing in around them. I've seen plans un, unfulfilled. I've seen dreams that's never come to pass. And people sit in church with this, this thing that I want to believe God. It's like the man who brought his son to Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. On one side of our mouth we believe, and the other side of the mouth we can't act on it. Everybody say amen. amen. It's true. So everything is risky. So if you're looking for absolute safety, you must choose the right way to go about it. Notice. And everybody listen. You can stay home every day of your life in the bed. But that could make you one of about a half a million people who have to go to the emergency room every year in the United States because they fell out of the bed. Eileen Guter wrote, You can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health. You can go to bed early, stay away from nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects so as to never uh, offend people, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on necessities and save all you can, and still break your neck getting out of the bathtub. And she says, and it serves you right. I agree with Eileen. Get up, man. Step out of your boat. Make something happen in your life. Don't you ever get tired of being a pew potato? Do something for the kingdom. Let God enrich your life. Worship like you've never worshipped. Believe like you never believed. Trust like you never trusted. Bottom line, reach. Reach for something beyond yourself to accomplish more than you ever have. Clap your hands to Jesus this morning. You may not like what Eileen said, but bottom line, 
You may not, but the choice to be a disciple of Jesus is a choice to face your fear head on. The decision to become a Christian or to grow as a Christian always involves a choice between risk and comfort. You know, the one thing I regret about Simon Peter's story is that he didn't try that like 12 other times and failed at it. I wish that part was there because then it would be far more applicable to most apostolics here today that claim to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. If your faith don't get you on your feet, will you get you off this planet when the rapture comes? Something to think about right there, isn't it? So to be a follower of Jesus, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to renounce comfort. To be a follower of Jesus, somewhere along the line, you'll have to renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. There are millions of people in churches today that want the comfort associated with religion, but they don't want the risk and the challenge that actually goes along with following Jesus. I'm just afraid to pray too much, man. You can't pray too much. I'm terrified to witness to somebody that might come to my church. We have these weird ideas bottled up in our head, and I'm not going to get too close to the pastor. The last time I did that, I got burned. Now I'm starting to get really close to home. I'm not going to get too involved in church. The last time I did that, somebody made fun of me, and they offended me, so I'm going to just sit here like the proverbial knot on a log. You know, blind Bartimaeus would have never received his sight just sitting on the road watching Jesus go by. And you know, this pass-by thing has taken on a whole new meaning. Through his sightless eyes, watching Jesus pass by, he got a revelation. And Jesus was promoted in his theology from Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus, thou son of David. And when he addressed him as God and not a man, he received his sight. What could happen to Grace Church if somebody would get out of your boat? Get out of your boat, man! Come on, somebody! Reach! 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 Everybody stand with me this morning. You know, and just as the comfort zone... Our Pentecostal comfort zone becomes a habit. So also can stepping out on faith become a habit. It becomes a lifestyle after a while. We pray first instead of last. It's not that the fear or discomfort for the old nature goes away. It's that you just have to get used to living with it. It's never comfortable nor easy to step out of a boat in those conditions. It's never easy to do that, and I understand it. But after a while, you've got to do it. Well, what if I sink? What if I sink? After all, Peter tried walking on the water, and he failed. Did he really? Let's look at that. Let's take a moment and look at that. 
Peter's doubts may have been bigger than his faith. He may have taken his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the wind. And yes, he sunk into the waves. But listen to Pastor this morning. There were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat behind him watching. And that's the people I'm after this morning. I give Peter a lot of credit, man. I don't know if I could have done it. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I could have stepped out either. But while we accuse Peter of failure, nobody ever talks about the 11 that never even stood up to see if it would work. And that's where so many of us are here this morning. We want him to get up and try. Oh, I'll call the insurance company. I'll call the doctor. I'll call the attorney. I'll call everybody else. We forget that for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why don't you pray first and see what happens? It's amazing how the 11 that stayed in the boat, their failure went unnoticed and uncriticized. I've never heard a sermon in all of my years. I've born and raised in Pentecost 60 years almost. I've never heard a sermon on the 11. I'm working on one now. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. (laughs) Nobody ever preaches about the 11, and our churches are full of the 11s. Every churchgoer has a choice to make. You can sit in the boat and point out everything that's wrong, everything that's doomed to fail, and everything that's not working right. Or you can be that one that gets out of your boat needing to get to Jesus. Only Peter knew the exhilaration of trying something that he was not capable of doing on his own. It is exhilarating when God steps into your life and does something wonderful. It's awesome when that happens. So, once you walk on the water, once you walk on the water, you never forget it. I have literally never walked on water, but figuratively, I've had some miracles in my life, man, happen because I got out of my boat, i tell you that. I'm a get-out-of-your-boat kind of guy. And that's why God has blessed my life with so much abundant blessing and favor. The worst failure is not to sink into the waves. After all, Jesus will be there to lift you up because He's the one that commanded that you get out. We tend to seek the world of comfort and our failure is to never get out of the boat. We try to construct manageable lives with some security and predictability to maintain the illusion that we're in control. And at that moment, Jesus passes by, not to forsake us, but to reveal himself to us. And he shakes everything up in our life. There's people here today, you're on your ear, so to speak. You don't know what to do. And God's like, (laughs) keep coming, keep coming. I'll show you, I'll show you. Jesus didn't stand at the side of the boat and take him by the hand. He was some distance away that if you want the ultimate experience in me, you've got to come get it. And I believe Jesus still does that today. And he does it to reveal himself. His call is to get out of the boat, and it involves storms and fear and 
and us doing tasks that are far too big for us. There's no other way to grow in your relationship with God except to step out. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, the Bible said. I'll never forget, and I'm going to be honest with you just based on my own life's experiences. There's a fine line between faith and ignorance. Sometimes there is, and I don't know where it's at, and I don't know how to define it. But I do know a long time ago, Sister Murph and I packed up our two kids, five and two, however old they were at the time. I sold my house and quit my job for one, one, two-week revival in New Bedford, Massachusetts. It took three days of driving just to get there. And I was only going to be there for two weeks, and then what? And that's where that fine line between faith and ignorance comes in. But I did it! And I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't have done it. I didn't wait till I had a calendar filled up. I stepped out on faith, man. And that, that two-week revival turned into three and a half years of full-time evangelistic ministry. That's what God does. Let me tell you something else about stepping out of a boat. God spoke to me and wanted me to go to Youngstown, Ohio to start a church from scratch. There wasn't eight people there waiting on me. Nowadays, you can get on Facebook, and if you proselyte good enough, you can have 50 or more people waiting on you when you get there from the area churches that want something new. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that, but it's nonetheless the truth. We didn't have social media back then. And I rolled into Youngstown, Ohio, and it was us four no more. And we taught Bible studies. It took me a little while to get some Bible studies. Taught them for over a year. But listen to what God did. We converted our garage to a church, was there for about a year, prayed. There was one lady that showed up one Sunday morning by herself, and me and my mama prayed her through the baptism of the Holy Ghost in our garage. But a few months later, a man called me and said, I'm retiring from ministry, I'm disabled, I've got a building, and some loosely saying apostolic people, you can have it all if you want it. I'll take it. Downtown Youngstown. In a bad part of town, a building would seat about 65 to 70 people. We packed it out. People would come in on Sunday morning and walk up and down that short aisle looking for a seat. That's what God does when you step out of your boat. But if you sit at home and wait for God to come drag you by the hand and pull you and drag you off somewhere, it's not going to happen. And then I stepped out of my boat again. We was there for about six years. Felt the change blowing in the wind and the baker church opened up brother kelvin we did have 11 there but it was a broken down building and it was a mess somebody had filed a lawsuit against the church for a hundred plus thousand dollars we didn't have a, two nickels to rub together but god took care of it and we reached a point after a little church split a couple of years later we built it back up kept preaching kept preaching revival kept preaching vision kept preaching growth we stepped out of our boat, standing in a little office right on the other side of that wall, when a man said, the pastor of this church formally said, hey, you want to buy this building? I said, yeah. He, How much do you want? He said, $1.2 million. I said, let me talk to our board. We had 60 people. But you got to get out of your boat, man. You know, you just can't 
You just can't sit around. If you want God to do something in your life, sooner or later, you got to do something, man. Show God you have some interest, if nothing else. I'm coming. I'm coming. You know, there's a little part of me that I know what the Bible says. I, I'm absolutely never going to dispute with the Bible. But I, I like to think, Brother Wheeler, that, that Peter was, yeah, he looked at the wind and took his eyes off of Jesus. But I also get the impression sometimes that he just turned around back at them 11 and went, look what I'm doing and you ain't doing it. Well, I took a step out of my boat to come to Baker where we formerly were, but this is what I saw. And you know where we're at right now? It's what to do with this campus. It's full here this morning, and we have a bunch of people that's out. They're sick and so on, and I understand that. But if they were all here, we'd be standing room only right now. Well, we've got parking lot plans, and we've got some chairs coming. But after that, and probably another year or two, we're going to need a bigger building. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to fret over it. God's given me two buildings already in my ministry. Maybe the third is the charm. And I repent this morning. I repent this morning for not having all the faith I needed even when we bought this building, Sister Yvonne. Sister Murphy and I thought this would last for the rest of our ministry. I still got another good year or two to go. And here we are needing another building, man. We're going to have to do something. We'll do overflow in the A Center if we have to. We have a plan. Always have a plan. But I just want to encourage everybody here this morning to step out of your boat, whatever it is, and embrace Jesus for who He is one more time and see what happens. We used to sing a song a long time ago that said, Reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. You'll find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. I'm not preaching a generic faith-based message here today. I've worked on this for a long time, and God has our church postured. He has you postured. I'll remind you again, God has a plan. It's huge, and you're in it if you want to be. But you've got to step out. You've got to reach. You've got to reach beyond who you are and what you think you know. You've got to reach out beyond your comfort zone. You've got to reach out beyond mapping out the rest of your life. You've got to trust God a little bit and do what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be. Is anybody hearing the Word of God this morning? Reach out and touch Him. He's not coming to pass you by. He's coming to reveal Himself to you that He's truly God. He's truly amazing. He's truly powerful. He's truly working in the lives of men and women. So as they sing softly this morning, Let's everybody gather around. Everybody come and just stand. Or kneel, whatever you choose to do. Do whatever you're comfortable in doing. But just come stand around the front. And from the depth of your spirit, reach out to Him.